Well, this morning, I want to share briefly with us the thought that something happened in the past. This event, this thing that we call Christmas, right? And we've titled the service today, Christmas, a moment like no other. And I think it's safe to assume, you know, no, no matter what you think about Christmas, you think something about Christmas. Everybody here has got a category in their life for this thing called Christmas. You're going to adjust your life every year in some way for this thing called Christmas. Now, I don't know if you're noticing this. This adjustment is creeping farther and farther back in the year. Have you noticed this? Like Home Depot. I'm a big Home Depot fan. Home Depot, Walmart. Have you been in those places in like September? And all of a sudden there's Christmas decorations and there's stuff being moved around. It's like, wow, we're in, this, is, this still feels like summer and we're already thinking about Christmas. Now, I got to admit, this is the first year ever for us that we got a Christmas tree before Thanksgiving. I know, it's getting crazy because you can't get one after Thanksgiving. It's got, everybody's jumping all over getting the Christmas thing. But, but Christmas, no matter what it means to you, it means something. Somehow, it has managed to show up on the radar of life. Uh, there's a bunch of spinoffs. From Christmas, you guys who are old enough to remember 1970s TV shows, you know, they have like an all in the family TV show. And then there was these spinoffs, right, that came from it, all these other shows that got created out of this one. Well, just think about all the spinoffs from Christmas, the story of this baby born in a manger. And then all of a sudden, at some point, hey, listen, let's face it, Santa has got no game without this spinoff story, right? He's nothing without Christmas. The North Pole, you don't even know anything about the North Pole without the Christmas story, right? And then there's things like Black Friday, spinoff from Christmas, right? Black Friday doesn't exist. You gotta get an early start on shopping and gift giving and it starts and you'll notice Black Friday now is like back in October, it's no longer a day, it's like a whole month. There is something about Christmas that just leaps out at us, it grabs our attention. But no, nothing can top this story. A real event took place, 1914, Christmas Eve, on the Western Front of World War I. British forces facing German forces in, in trench warfare. If you've ever seen a movie about World War I, it, it is a horrible thing to see how these battles were fought. A setting that generated 40 million casualties. And in this setting, you've got one trench and then this no man's land and another trench on the other side. And they would just park there and bomb and shoot and bomb and shoot and bomb and shoot day after day after day. Except for New Year's Eve, or pardon me, Christmas Eve in 1914, when one side begins to hear singing from the other side. Christmas carols, recognized Christmas carols, are being sung from the other side, to which the other side begins to sing along. And in multiple locations along this front line in the western front of one of the bloodiest wars in human history, two sides are singing Christmas carols together. Well, not only that, they're going to begin to speak to one another. They're going to venture into this no man's land. They're going to shake hands. They're going to exchange food and cigarettes. Some of them are going to get haircuts from men on the other side of a war that just moments before they were bent on killing every last one of them. What on earth causes that to happen? Right? Christmas is a, a mysterious Event And it's like no other event that has ever happened. This moment is unique. And it visits us today. And undoubtedly, everybody in this room has changed the look of your house. You've got some decorations going on. You've got plans that are different. December 25th is marked on your calendar. You've got events leading up to it. You've got things that you long and look forward to. But what is it about Christmas? That sticks out so uniquely in human history. Well, I want to revisit that moment 
this morning with us just to highlight some things that are in place there that are like no other moment that has ever existed in our world. Let me just say a couple of things first. This event, this moment, it's a real moment in history. Right? This is not just nostalgia. This is not just somebody made up a story and we keep telling this story. No, no, no. This is a real moment, a real event in human history. Now, let me quote a pastor named Tim Keller. Tim Keller pastored a church in New York City. Uh, wrote some wonderfully provocative, helpful books. One of them was called Hidden Christmas. And he says in that book, he says, Matthew, speaking of the gospel writer Matthew, Matthew does not begin his story of Jesus' birth by saying, once upon a time. That's the way fairy tales and legends and myths and Star Wars begin. But that's not the kind of account Matthew is giving us. He says, quote, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That means he's grounding what Jesus Christ is and does in history. Jesus is not a metaphor. He is real. This all really happened. So there is a moment that is like our moments. Somebody traveled through time and had real human experiences at a real location. And something really, really took place. And this moment in time is a unique moment because unlike many of our moments in our lives, it touches everyone and it touches every moment. So it's a very different moment. As a matter of fact, Tim points this out. If you pick up your Bible and you read the accounts of the nativity, the birth of Jesus, and you start reading in Matthew, and then there's another version in Luke where you can read of the story, you'll find that neither one of them starts with, oh, little town in Bethlehem. They don't start the story with Joseph and Mary and just this event that took place between a small group of people that was going to mean something to them. No, no. In that moment, Matthew is going to start with a genealogy. He's going to reach back 2,000 years and he's going to apply what this event means to generation after generation after generation. And he's going to spend time naming each generation from 2,000 years earlier in Abraham's life all the way to this moment. Because this event was going to touch the past and not just the future. And then Luke doesn't start with the little town of Bethlehem. Luke starts by telling us about a guy named John the Baptist. He starts giving us his background and his role because John the Baptist is going to play this unique role. He's going to come on the scene and and he's a herald. He's there to proclaim for everybody to know that from this day forward, this event is going to be like no other event. So if you don't know who John the Baptist is, uh, John the Baptist is basically like a ring announcer, right? He shows up and he's like, ladies and gentlemen, the king of kings. And he's introducing this one person who's going to show up on the stage of human existence like no one else. So this is, this is a message, an event, a moment that reaches back in time and it reaches forward in time. It's not a moment like any other moment. The Bible doesn't treat it like any other moment. The, the letter of Galatians that's found in the New Testament is an explanation of this moment. Listen to this. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. Right? This is not just the next day on a calendar. This is not just the, the next event. From God's perspective, God looks down at our time and he says, there's this one moment that's not like any other moment. That moment is the fullness of time. A moment in which a plan that God had is going to finally show up and be manifest in our world. Paul would say it this way in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, that babe born in a manger, as a plan for the fullness of time. This event is not some random event. It's not just the same, the next thing that happened in human history that we read in a history book. It's a moment that God inserted into our history. A moment for all of humanity, anybody who would ever exist in any other moment. This moment is going to say something. God says it was a plan. 
But a plan for what? A, a plan for us to rush out and buy Christmas trees early? A plan for us to string lights in the front of our house that we don't normally have up? A plan for a figgy pudding recipe? Some great songs that we sing? Spinoffs like Santa? A plan for that? Right, obviously not. And listen, I'm not poking at any of those things. I've got lights on my house and I've got a Christmas tree and we enjoy the season. But that wasn't the plan. Right? When you read the rest of Galatians chapter 4, here, here's the plan. These are big words. These are rich, rich words. You don't want to read them past them too fast. Right? Here's the rest of what Galatians 4 says. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why'd you do all this, God? To redeem those who were under the law. You know what the word redeem means? The word redeem means to buy something back. God sent forth his son to buy people back to himself. So that we might receive adoption as sons. Now listen, this is the stuff we read past too fast. This is why this moment loses its meaning. Did, did you know that for any human being to have a relationship with the creator, you would need to be adopted back into his family? I'm not, that's like, wow, I'm not sure I knew that. I thought, you know, God created everybody and everybody's God's child. Uh, no, there's going to need to be something that happens so that we could be brought and redeemed and adopted back into God's family. In verse 6. And because, right, you're now sons. This event produced sonship. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Boy, don't read past that too fast. You mean this moment provided the life of the spirit of God to not just be some concept, something that exists out there, something we read about in holy books, but to be something that is in me, in me. Coming to me and actually living in me as an experience of my life. And this spirit cries out in me, Abba, Father. Not just higher power, not the force, and certainly not the man upstairs. An endearing, affectionate cry of our hearts that relates to this powerful God who created everything but as father our hearts cry out father so you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir through God now I'll read that whole verse but that next verse ends with this thought in him we have obtained an inheritance did you, did you know it's like there's a will that existed of the, mo the richest person you could ever think of? And you didn't know it, but he put you in his will. And he planned for an inheritance in your life. Can you imagine if you really came to grips with that? How all the problems of life would be challenged by the thought that, oh, do you have any idea how much money this guy left you? And God turns around and says, I invaded your life in a moment in time and provided an inheritance to you that for the rest of eternity is going to pay every bill. It's going to meet every need that you could ever have in your life. Listen, this is a moment like no other. James Smith is an author who wrote a book about living in time. Right? He was called How to Inhabit Time. He says this, history matters. What happens makes a difference right 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 now when i at some point in time am confronted with the mystery that the eternal god became human in the fullness of time when the moment in time must have such decisive significance that for no moment will i be able to forget it neither in time nor in eternity because the eternal previously non-existent came into existence in that moment, this event, this moment that the whole world stops, even if they can't figure out what they're doing and why they're stopping, is because God invaded time. And he did something in that moment that is like no other moment. I, mean, I, I, I love Christmas carols. 
but they're a little bit too familiar to us. But they're almost like anthems. You know, you, ever, you know, you see anthems like the national anthem. You see that moment when, when the guys in the Olympics, they've trained all their life. They represent their country. They win a gold medal and they stand on the podium. And what, what do they do when they play the national anthem? Tears. As they realize this moment is so big. They've represented a nation that's shared a history. And they've accomplished something together with all. This is so meaningful. Well, that's what Christmas carols are. They're, they're like national anthems. They're declaring something about the rich history of what we share. It's like hard for me just to sing those songs without tears rolling down my face. So let me draw your attention to one particular one. And we're actually going to conclude the service in a few minutes with listening and enjoying. Oh, holy night. Right, we've heard this song. But did you know what the word holy means? It's not just a religious word like, you know, people were holy this, holy that, holy service, holy settings. The word holy basically means set apart, unique, like no other. That's what holy means. When it's applied to God, he's obviously alone in who he is. But this night that we sang about earlier, the silent night, this holy night, it is like no other moment, right? Listen, it's... It's the moment in time that all of time answers to. It's the event that all other events of human history answer to. It's the defining thing that provides me with the thing that defines me. That's what this event is. Soren Kierkegaard was a, a Danish philosopher in the 1800s. James Smith quotes him as he says this. A moment... Such as this is unique. To be sure, it's short and temporal as the moment is. It's passing as the moment is. Past as the moment is in the next moment. And yet it is decisive. And it is filled with the eternal. A moment such as this must have a special name. Let's call it the fullness of time. The paradigm of this intersection of time and eternity is the incarnation of God in Christ. The moment that is the fulcrum of human history. The intersection of time and eternity makes a difference for both. All right, so what's the big deal about this moment? Well, let me pull just a couple of thoughts from the song that we're about to hear in a few minutes. Oh, holy night. And listen to what this song highlights and celebrates about this moment. Familiar words, right? Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Right, don't, don't sing the next line too fast. Savior? It's the night of a Savior's birth? If there's a savior, what does that imply? That there's something to be saved from, right? That there's something about our lives, about our existence, that needs some kind of intervention to save us from something. That's a good word because it points to a savior. And then the question would be, are, are you and I aware that that condition exists that there is in the human story a need to be saved from something and if there is what could do that for us what could save us because quite honestly we live in a world that's offering all kinds of ideas about things that will at least improve us and make things a little bit better so it's at least acknowledging that things could be better but the Bible uses stronger language than that. It's saying that we actually need to be saved from something. And God took such drastic measures because there was only one way to do that. He would have to come and do it himself. And that's that baby born in a manger. A savior is born. And then the reason for that savior is in the next little phrase. Long lay the world in sin and error pining anybody know what pining means this is a quiz right we sing that song over and over. no one else no we think pine trees are involved there's no pine trees involved in pining 
Right? Pining, pining means a suffering that has a longing and a yearning built into it. It's waiting for something or someone. That's what that word pining means. And why would we be pining? Well, because the world is laying in a condition that the Bible introduces a word to us called sin. Long lay the world in sin. Well, what exactly is that? Well, in our modern world, we kind of get this. It's, it's kind of like a viral disease, except it's spiritual and it travels into not only physical realms of our body, but emotional, spiritual thoughts, how we feel. It's a condition that invaded humanity, right? We, we're a little bit more familiar with these kind of things these days. It's a pandemic, but the difference in this one is that it's 100% contagious. There's no one on earth who's not caught this disease. And how would you treat this disease? Right? We've watched our world try to figure out how to, how to treat just a little twisted virus that was sort of like other viruses, but a little bit different. Well, this one's like no other virus. It's like nothing humanity has ever, ever come in contact with or understood previously. And it never has the ability to come up with a solution, a condition that invades every one of our lives needs a cure and long lay the world in the impact of this. Listen, Tim Keller says this in his book, Hidden Christmas. He says, one of the first indications of the Christmas season is the appearance of lights, lights on trees, candles and windows, radiance everywhere. How is the world dark? Why this appearance of light? He says, in the Bible, the word darkness refers to both evil and ignorance. It means first that the world is filled with evil and untold suffering. Look at what was happening at the time of the birth of Jesus, right? This is the outplay of sin, what the condition does to humanity. Violence, injustice, abuse of power, homelessness, refugees fleeing oppression, families ripped apart, and bottomless grief. Sounds exactly like today, doesn't it? It seems as though man has not been able to come up with a cure for this thing called sin. And listen, we thought, we thought as we got smarter and we got more technologically advanced that we could cure some of this stuff, right? We thought education was the thing. And then the Western world got more and more and more educated and we turned around to the rest of the world and we called them uncivilized and savages. And we built and designed and created technology and the industrial revolution took place and we improved life in so many ways. We thought we were doing pretty well. But if you go back and check the stats in the midst of all of our advances in the last century, the 20th century was the century on record in all of human history where more murders and killing took place than any other century in human history. Our technology only introduced us to the ability to kill more people more efficiently. It didn't solve our problem because this thing uniquely sits in us. It is a problem that needs a moment. It needs an invasion from God. Now listen, I know I'm talking world scale stuff, but you know, that's, that's our moment individually as well. We're doing life. We feel the effects of sin. We need God to invade. And he does, right? Remember this line in that song, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Till this moment, this rule of sin, till this moment when he appeared and the the soul felt its worth. I love that God gets very personal in his remedy. There is a Condition of sin in the human soul. That's sort of like what cancer does to the body. It invades it. It destroys it. It depletes it. Well, God invented our lives to be lives of dignity. But sin comes along and rips the dignity out of our lives. And and it replaces it with shame and failure and worthlessness. It complicates relationships. Uh, There's no way... 
this many people gathered here today, we, we couldn't sit down and revisit some of our stories from our own past. Our hurts, our scars, our memories. This is the most wonderful time of the year, and it's also some of the most painful time of the year, isn't it? Because we get in touch with the fact that everything hasn't gone right. It hasn't gone right for us. It hasn't gone right for the people around us. There are things that we haven't been able to fix or heal, and we feel the pain from that. And God comes along and says, till he appeared. And the soul felt something. Could, could God do that again in the lives of those of us who are gathered here? Right? Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, longing for something that would take this feeling away from us. Could God have done something in this moment that is the remedy to the noise inside of our souls? Can I just tell you that song that we've been singing all these years and maybe singing too fast? It sings about a real experience that you can really have. That moment can come into your life in a moment. In the same way that that moment in history was the moment of all moments for all of human history. When that moment touches your life, that touch point becomes the moment that redefines your whole life. In that moment, it will reach back into your past and it will touch your experiences, your pains, the things that need to be healed, the ways in which you have harmed others as well as they have harmed you. That moment when it comes to you reaches into your past, but guess what? It lives in your present and it reaches into your future as well. Can I just tell you that this room is filled with people, I know most of the people that are here, who have stories like that, that that historic moment became their moment. Right, so there's many people I could just ask, hey, could you just come up and tell us about that? But we did ask one person to come share how this moment found you in the midst of your moments in life. And so I'm going to ask Barbara, Eula, if she would make her way up. Barbara, grab that microphone on your way up. I want you to hear the story of how this moment will find your moment. I'll come back up in just a moment and close our time. As Pastor Keith just preached about, Jesus' birth was a night that impacted every other moment in history. And although this happened 2,000 years ago, and I've heard about this my entire life, he was not alive to me until he met me in one of my darkest moments. My entire life, I felt a longing within my soul. I tried soothing it with other things, but they never worked. In fact, they just built upon each other and got worse. In my earliest childhood, I tried being the peacemaker in my family when things would go wrong. Although I have plenty of memories with my mom, it was a different story with my father, to put it lightly. Ultimately, trying to be the peacemaker without any success only led me to feel more disappointed, hurt, and depressed. So I went on to the next thing that I thought would soothe me being self-protective. I put up walls around my heart so that nobody could hurt me. Nobody knew who I really was or what I was hiding within my soul. All they saw was a girl who they thought was confident, but deep inside, I was insecure and incredibly sad. I would get into fist fights with random strangers and my words cut deeply as I tried to prove how tough I was. I brought tissue. <laughs> I was determined to never get hurt again, and being angry and mean was a good formula to keep anyone from being close enough to hurt me. That is, until my son was born, and I loved him more than I ever could have imagined, but now I needed to protect him. So I went from self-protection to being controlling. I thought if I was able to control my son's surroundings, that I would be able to love him freely without fear. But the only problem with that is that, of course, we cannot control our surroundings. However, this didn't try, stop me from trying, which caused tremendous problems within my marriage. And my husband started to feel like he could not do anything right. 
because of how controlling I was being. And that caused him to be very distant, mean, and work-obsessed. Recognizing I had no control, my soul became incredibly anxious. I began to see the next 20 years of my son's life as only anxiety can do. But instead of giving up control, I decided I would grip even harder and take matters into my own hands. I decided that my husband was the problem, not me. Well, that was something I could control. All I had to do was leave him and all my problems would be solved. So I decided I would divorce my husband. I began to look for apartments for me and my one-year-old son. But in a moment, light can pierce through the deepest darkness. At this point in my life, I had no close friends. I had pushed them all away. I had no interaction with people except the activities that I did with my son. And whenever anyone would try to speak with me there, I was abrupt, short, and dismissive. But God is not bounded by our limitations. He meets us where we are. On June 12, 2012, I was driving in my car and I was listening to a podcast where a woman spoke of her childhood, her broken marriage, and how God restored it all. And after listening to her, I thought to myself, if her God is the same as my God, then why not save me? Why not save my marriage? I parked my car and as I walked to the front door of my house, I thought of all the ways that I was trying to fix my life on my own and I realized I could no longer do it. I was too weary to go on anymore. I felt as though if I were to take one more step in my own power that I would collapse and not be able to get up again. As I walked through my doorframe, I took a few steps and I fell to my knees on my living room floor and I cried for what seemed like an hour. Through my tears, I begged God to help me. I told him how lonely and afraid I was. I told him how anxious I was. I told him I was sorry for all the ways that I tried to live my life without him and I needed him to take over. I told him that I would follow him no matter the cost. No matter the cost to relationships. Or anything else that held me back from him in my past. I told him I had no, I had no idea where this would take me. I had no idea where to begin. I had no church, I had no friends, but I had all I needed. I had him. And in that moment, I felt peace within my soul that I could not explain. I know what it means to have my soul feel its worth. In that moment, I did. And from then on, I began praying to God. I didn't tell my husband, I didn't tell anyone. I bought a Bible, I prayed alone in my closet, and asked God to show me himself and to show me how to live. So instead of divorcing my husband, I began to pray for him. Again, I didn't tell my husband anything about what I was doing. I just trusted that God would answer my prayers in his own way, in his own time. But this was not always easy. There were moments that I thought my husband would never change, but I had learned not to trust my feelings or what I could see. Instead, I trusted God as I prayed to him and let his word transform my heart. As I did this, I felt the chains of my past break. I felt all the oppression of my feelings cease. I learned that I could trust God more than I could trust myself. 
I didn't have to be the peacemaker. I didn't have to protect myself. I didn't have to be in control. All I had to do was trust that he was with me in every moment of my life and my soul had incredible peace. Nine months later, my husband, who was still very distant, mean, and cold, agreed to watch a movie with me. During the movie, a man spoke about how he could not properly love his wife because he did not know God's love towards him. I didn't look at my husband the entire time during this movie, but at the end, I turned and I looked at him. And with tears streaming down his face, he told me, I want to love you like that. I cried and I told him that he could with God's help. That night, God changed my husband. He has never been the same since. We began praying together every night. And one of the first prayers we prayed together was for God to bring us Christian friends. Two weeks later, I was bringing my son to the library. And I met a woman there who just so happened to be the wife of a pastor at Lakeview. We've been attending Lakeview ever since. Today, we have over 20 people who gather to study God's word in that same living room where I first told God I was lonely and needed him. I'm overwhelmed when I think of all the ways that God's been faithful to shine light in moments that seem so dark. My husband and I have been through a lot over these past 11 years, and not all moments are easy. However, that moment when I gave my life to God spoke to every moment in my past and continues to speak to every moment in my present. I can truly say, long laid my world in sin and error pining. But then he appeared and my soul finally felt its worth. A thrill of hope let my weary world rejoice. He broke in and gave me a new and glorious morn. I fell to my knees and I heard my Savior's voice. What a divine night it was when Christ was born in my soul. Thank you. Designs these services. I get to follow Gina singing earlier and then that. Let me draw us into a moment that it just kind of makes sense. God invaded human history in a moment. A moment that wasn't supposed to just stay on a calendar. It was a moment intended to accomplish something. It was a moment intended not just to invade history so that it could be recorded in a book, but it was a moment intended to invade one life after another. And so the song that we are going to hear sung and the song we've been interacting with, it, it calls for a response. Robert referenced the thrill of hope, the thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. That, that's what God's after. Why do this big event in history? To bring the thrill of hope back into our souls. And listen, I, I, I grew up like most of us here. I grew up religious until a moment where that moment became my moment. And up, up until that time, I knew very little of being thrilled about anything about God, to be honest. I knew about going to church. I knew about doing religious stuff. But thrilled? Not really full of hope not because of that but that's what God's after now you got to get the whole story here before I ask you do you want do you want to receive some of this remember the whole story is not a manger scene that's just the opening act of the whole story 
By the time you get to the end of the story, Jesus Christ is no longer a baby. He has lived a life like no other human being ever lived. He has lived a perfect life. And then he is going to go to a cross and he's going to receive all of the punishment that every sin could possibly demand. He will receive that in himself so that he may give away forgiveness to all who call upon him. See, part of what haunts us, and as you heard Barbara describe that, is, is not just what everybody else has done around us. Part of what haunts us is what, what we have done. Well, how do, you, how do you fix that? Get the other people in your life to say they're okay with what you did? Well, that, that'll make you feel a little better, but it won't fix it. I, I need to be forgiven. I need to have this God who invaded life in a moment, who died in my place to forgive me of my sin. I need to hear him tell me, Keith, you are forgiven and restored to your father. My soul needs that. And that happened for me, like Barbara described. I had an experience with God like that in 1979. And it became the moment that reached backwards into my life and reached forward into every day from then on. Listen, that, that moment could be yours this morning. This celebration, this year of Christmas can be the morning for you that, that all these familiar words that have hung around, that this morning you respond to that. How do I respond to that? Well, there's this little thing called hope inside of you. The thrill of hope. It wants to be set somewhere in your life. So let me just ask you to be honest with yourself right now. Where have you set your hope? If you had to get a flashlight out and walk around your life for a few minutes and revisit 2023 and say, hey, honey, have you seen my hope? (laughs) Where did I put my hope? Well, I don't know. What you worried about lately? What are you anxious about? What's haunted you this year? What's made you really, really freaked out and angry and weirded out? What's done that in the past year? Can I just tell you, that's probably where you put your hope. And the thrill of hope is to find the place to put your hope that can never, ever be threatened again and can never be taken from you. It can never be damaged. He is the thrill of hope. He came into this world to relocate your hope into him. How do I do that? We just pray a really simple prayer out of your own desire in your heart. The thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. And you fall on your knees. I don't want to leave that part out. Because if Jesus is something you can get at Target, nobody falls on their knees about stuff from Target. But what if Jesus really is God himself, the being who created everything, who is in our lives to be worshipped? Well, then falling on my knees makes sense, doesn't it? Not just acknowledging that this story is a cool story and it exists, but falling on my knees and saying, God, you are worthy of everything about me. I trust you and I'm looking to you and I'm putting my hope in you. Listen, if you want to do that this morning, let's just bow our heads for a moment. I don't give anybody who's here this morning, just having a private moment, you and God, just to have a conversation. Lord, I thank you that the God who tells us that in the fullness of time, you sent forth your son because you had a plan you had a plan in the fullness of time there was a moment in which you knew you were going to act you knew that moment and you knew it was a moment like no other and Lord you know this moment as well you know some names in this room and you know what they've been through you know what life feels like you know the weariness you know how sin has left them pining for something to fix the way life feels. And Lord, they've come to this moment, they're listening to what you did in Barbara's life, listening to these songs. Listen, if you want to respond to the Lord this morning who sends his son for you, talk to him right now. Have a conversation with him. Use your own words, but talk to him about these things. 
Talk to him about where your hope is for your life. And maybe acknowledge to him, confess to him, God, my hope has been in the wrong place. It's been in someone else or something else. But this morning, Lord, I realize I, I need to put my hope in you and the purpose you have for my life, the plan that you have for me. So God, this morning, I'm, I'm turning to you. That babe you sent in the manger, you did that for me. You accomplished something for me to remove the oppression and the change and the weariness of my life and to give me back a relationship with you. God, this morning, I'm telling you, I want that relationship. I want my heart to leap toward you and cry out, Abba, Father, I belong to you and you belong to me for the rest of eternity. That's the future of my life. So Lord, I I put my hope in you, in your forgiveness for my sins, in the plans that you have for me from this day forward. I will remember this day, this moment becomes my moment for the rest of my life life. And that moment, oh Lord, what a holy moment that is for me now. In Jesus' name, amen. Our worship team's going to, they're going to sing through this song. I just want you to listen to it at first. And then they're going to invite us to sing along with them. You can stand together. But for right now, would you just listen? These words are so rich and so meaningful. Let them inform this is a moment like no other moment. Amen. Keith, go ahead, buddy.
hope, our sincere hope, whether you're watching through our live stream feed or you're going into this season, that you will take this awareness with you. There was this moment, like no other moment that God intended to invade every moment of our lives. We trust that you'll have a greatly blessed Christmas celebration this year with your families and all that you have planned. Hey, if you're, if you're a guest with us this morning, like I said, we have a little guest reception for you in the bookstore. If you this morning prayed and began this journey of entrusting your hope to Christ, uh, we have a Bible that we'd love to give to you, or maybe even watching online, we'd love to send you a Bible so that you can begin to read about this Savior and all that he has in store for your lives. God bless you guys, and thank you so much for being here with us again this year. We'll see you hopefully next week.